0: If you watched on the live stream last week, you know we began a new series that was called Real Life and we continue in that today. And and we began with a simple statement that we want life to mean something. And I think that's true. We want our lives to count. We want our lives to make a difference. And you know, I've done a fair number of funerals lately and it is so good to be able to sit down with a family and for them to, to tell me this is what this person, whether it's dad or mom or spouse or whoever, this is what they meant to me. This is what they built into my life. These are some things that they said, some things that they did that really made a difference in who I am. I would not be the same person without them. We want our lives to mean something. And then last week, we began to think about, okay, what does that look like? And we talked about the fact if you want life to be meaningful, you gotta start with Jesus, and that's the beginning point. That's how we make life meaningful. And Today, I want us to think, okay, if that's true, we really do want our lives to mean something, and it all starts with Jesus. What is the beginning point? How does that begin in our lives? How is that set in motion? You know, we have ways of thinking about that with our physical lives, right? I mean, we all have a day every year... That we celebrate, right? We we have a birthday, and that sort of marks the beginning of our lives. And and on that day we we sort of celebrate our uniqueness and who we are, and our family may celebrate with us, and we think about what we've done and maybe what we want to do. And we have some well some odd ways of celebrating, like the guy in this video. Maybe you've seen him.
1: Hello there, James. Happy birthday. I'm the happy birthday singer And your friends James They wanted me to come and sing a special Happy birthday song to you today On their behalf So here I go with a special birthday song Just for you Oh happy birthday to song sung by me but from your friends just for you on your birthday so you have a great day have a lot of fun and next year James if you're lucky your friends just might send me back again to sing another happy birthday song to you goodbye have fun it's your birthday James you're looking good and so young
0: that's becoming a tradition in our family. He's sung that with 4,000 names now. So if you would like to download that from YouTube and play it for one of your loved ones, you can do that as well. What a thrill, right? And there's not much more awkward to me than sitting in front of a cake with people singing a song to me. But that's what we do for birthdays, right? That's how we celebrate. We don't really have ways of celebrating like our, the beginning of our spiritual lives, do we? Now, I'm not proposing a song for that. Let's don't add to that, okay? But how do we think about that? How do we think about the beginning of our spiritual life? That's what I would like for us to think about a little bit today. Where does it start? What's the beginning of all that? And to do that, we're going to turn again to the Gospel of John. And we're going to be in John 3 in just a minute. But, you know, as we think about John, we we began at the end of the Gospel last week, or near the end, in chapter 20, the last couple verses, where John tells us, man, I wrote this stuff down so that you would believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing that, you would have life, okay? Real life. Meaningful, eternal life. Life. And then we jump back to the beginning of the gospel, John chapter 1, and we thought about the picture that John paints of Jesus, the the cosmic picture, the one, the Jesus who is at creation, the Jesus who has always been, the Jesus who is God. And I said we're going to sort of fly along and parachute in at certain places in the gospel, and that's exactly what we're doing. We got that cosmic picture of Jesus at the beginning of the gospel, and then John begins to tell sort of the Day-to-day stories that we find as a part of a human life, and he tells us how Jesus lived. Now, one of the things that John does, and I think one of the reasons he wrote the gospel, was to fill in some places. My guess is John was written as the last gospel, and he knew about the other three, or at least one of the other three that tell it in a similar way. And John fills in some blanks of some stories that he knew were left out because no gospel writer can include everything. John was there. He saw it all. And so he gives us some some stories that for him seem to be hugely important in understanding who Jesus was. And John chapter 3 is just one of those stories. And so we pick up John chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. And John says this, There was a Pharisee. A man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now, we learn a lot about this man that comes up in John chapter 3. We know first that his name is Nicodemus. Second, we know that he is a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees were a special group of people among the Jews in the first century. They were the experts in the law, okay? They were the teachers, They were looked up to by the common people of all the groups. This is the one that the common people esteemed the most because they practiced the law, taught them the law. A lot of times they were the teachers in the synagogue. So they were an important group of people respected. But it's not just that Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He is also a member of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. This was the group that was in charge. Second only to the Romans who governed Judea, this was the group that everyone looked to. In other words, Nicodemus is a leader. Nicodemus is a man on the move, a man in charge. Nicodemus is a success story. If you chose someone that lots of people would have looked at and thought, man, who do we want to be like? Many of them would have said a guy like Nicodemus. Okay, so we've got this picture, this man on the move, this success story, and what happens? Find in verse 2, he came to Jesus at night, and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now throughout the Gospel of John, we find little catches where John tells us the time of day. And when John says something is at night, he wants us to know that for a reason. It's important. He he talks about light and darkness. This shows up many times. And he tells us Nicodemus came at night. Why did he come at night? Well, my guess is that he was hoping no one would see him go to wherever Jesus was staying. Nicodemus is a leader. Nicodemus is well-known. He's respected. He's a teacher that people would go to. And all of the other Pharisees, the members of the Sanhedrin, would have thought, why in the world would you want to go talk to Jesus? Jesus is not part of the establishment. Jesus is sort of a a rogue teacher that he's not not one of us. What is it that you would want to go seek Jesus out about? What, What would you want to ask him? And so Nicodemus went at a time when he thought no one would see him. No one would know that he had gone to Jesus, the rogue teacher. But then when he gets to Jesus, you know, he doesn't even have a question. Did you notice that? He doesn't come up and ask Jesus to sort of delineate some important point in the law. He doesn't ask him where his power is from. He just says, I can tell that God is with you. Because no one could do what you do without the power of God at work in them. And he just, he just sort of lets that hang in the air, waiting for Jesus to respond. And Jesus does. Verse 3, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God Unless they are born again. Hey, Nicodemus, if, if you're looking to somehow participate in what God is doing in me, if you want to be part of the kingdom of God, this is how you do it. Nicodemus, you got to be born again. Now that's a phrase that in our culture has come to carry fair amount of baggage, right? I mean, some people talk about, I'm a born-again Christian, and and that seems to be important to Jesus, so it matters. And they mean a certain number of things by that. Some people almost use it as an insult a pejorative. Those born-again Christians, what do they think? That kind of thing. So it carries a lot with it. So what, what does it mean? Well, Nicodemus didn't know what it meant. Because Nicodemus, when Jesus says, you got to be born again, sort of goes, that's, like, Jesus, don't you get that's, like, in, Impossible, right? I mean, that's not physically possible. How can that happen? And you know, we we have one birthday and not two, so this is just no way this happens. That phrase, "born again," the word that's translated "again" there is the Greek word "anothen," which is commonly used as a way to say "again," but is also used to say "from above." Jesus says, You got to be born again, Nicodemus. You got to be born from above. This is God at work, God in heaven, God above, God beyond us. You got to be born again. You got to be born from above. This is a different kind of birth, Nicodemus. Jesus explains it a little bit in verse 5. He says, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Well, that clears it up, right? Born again, born of water and spirit. What does that mean? Scholars have debated that a lot in the last 2,000 years. The best sense I can make of it is Jesus is saying, Got to be born of water physically. I mean, we talk about water broken even now, right? You got to be born physically, and then you got to have another birth. Born again, born from above, born of the Spirit, God's Spirit at work in you. You need a new birth. You need something to change, and it's within your soul that the changes need to take place. God is offering you new life, but it's not just a new start to this physical life but a new spiritual life. Jesus goes on in verse 8. He says, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Jesus is using a little bit of a play on words, the word for Spirit and the word for wind, same word in Greek. And so he's telling him, you know what, You don't know exactly what the wind's going to do, right? I mean, it blows around, and maybe you know sort of the direction it's coming from. Maybe you don't. You don't know who else it's going to blow on. And it's a little bit like that with us. The Spirit's at work, and what we have to do is not predict it, not control it, but let it be. Submit to it. Just let the Spirit work in our lives. If you want to know what it means to be born again, born from above, it's to allow God's Spirit to be so much a part of your life that God sets the direction. That God tells you where you're going to go. It's allowing God to be in charge. And then if we skip down a few verses, we find a little little more explanation of the origins of this whole thing of being born again, born from above, born of the Spirit. And it comes in... What may be the best-known verses in the whole Bible? Probably maybe the most often quoted. John 3.16. What's interesting about this verse is it creates a little bit of a challenge for us because it is always a challenge to translate from an ancient language to a modern language, really from any language to another, but sometimes things don't work the same. For example, in ancient Greek... There were no punctuation marks at all. In fact, there's no capital or lowercase to tell us when a sentence begins. Everything is written either in all caps or all lowercase. And you just have to figure it out as a translator where sentences start and where they end because there's no periods, question marks, exclamation points. None of that. There are also no quotation marks. So if you're going along in ancient Greek, you have to figure out is, if it's a story, is the narrator talking? Okay, because sometimes the narrator tells the story. Is one of the characters in the story talking? Because they talk then just like they do now. And if one of the characters is talking, who's the one doing the talking? And the translators of John have to figure out along the way several times in the gospel is Jesus talking or has John sort of switched to an understanding and now he's explaining what Jesus has just said. In ancient Greek, there was also no red letter addition. So the red letters were not there to tell us this is Jesus talking. In my translation this morning, if I look down, there's a break at 15 and then into 16 because verse 15 is is in red and then verse 16 is in black. The translators of this Bible have chosen to think that Jesus quits talking at the end of verse 15 and John starts talking in 16. But the translations are all over the place. Some of them have these words in red. These are Jesus' words. Some, it's John's words. In the end, it doesn't make a lot of difference because it's the inspired word of God. It's what God wanted us to know. But either Jesus is talking about himself and says this in verse 16, or John is speaking and he's explaining Jesus' mission in his own words in verse 16. But this is what it says. For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It all begins with God's love. It all begins with, for God so loved the world. If we want to understand, where does new life begin? Where does being born again come from? Where does being born from above? What does it mean for us to be born of the Spirit? It all begins with those words, for God so loved the world. That's what changes everything. You know, sometimes we get the wrong image of God. We get this image of God angry in heaven. He's mad at us because of our sin. And the truth is, God does hate our sin. But the truth is also that God loves us. This verse does not read, For God so hated humanity that he sent Jesus and killed him on a cross. What it says is, For God so loved the world. God loved you and me so much that he sent Jesus to take the punishment that I deserved, that you deserved, and through that could offer us new life, eternal life, life filled with the Spirit, life therefore having meaning beyond what we understand. If we said last week that if you want a meaningful life, start with Jesus, we back up from that statement today. And sort of think about the basis for that. How does a life with Jesus give us meaning? Because, here it is, real life is rooted in God's love. Real life is rooted in God's love. The life that we want to live, and the source of that life, where it comes from, it springs from God's love. All this other would not happen without God's love. And so when we think about being born again, And it's because we've come in contact with the love of God. It's because that life is rooted in God's love. That's where we have our life source is in the God who created us and then loved us enough to deal with our sin problem. Now, if we think about that, real life is rooted in God's love. And that's where our meaningful life comes from. There's three ways I think we want to incorporate this into our thinking and into our lives. We're going to jump through these pretty quickly. First, acknowledge God's love for you. Remember, sometimes we convince ourselves that God doesn't love us. We talk ourselves into believing that I've done so much wrong that there's no way God could really love me. But the truth is, God loves you. Now, God doesn't want you to continue to sin because that that separates you from God. But God dealt with that in Jesus. God loves you. And the sooner we come to that realization, the sooner we can resonate with God's love shown in Jesus Christ. And we can have a real, meaningful life. God loves you. And you've got to acknowledge that love. And then, second, make God's love for the the basis for your relationship with him. So that's how we understand God. That's how we relate to God. That's how we live our lives with God, is that we are being filled with his love and therefore filled with his spirit. And that's what makes us born again, born from above. That's what changes us, is God's spirit changing who we are. And if we think about that, we're just really reflecting God's love for us back to him. And we as a church talk about loving God and loving others and that leads us to the third of these and that's to make God's love the basis for your relationship with others. And we are our job is to reflect God's love shown to us to the people around us, to share that same love because God has God has changed us so much, God has given us new life, life that looks forward to eternity. And we want the people around us to know that. And we want them to experience the same kind of love. So even in small ways, though we can't love people like God can, we can reflect that same love, that same life-giving, encouraging, powerful love. In small ways, we can show that to the people around us. And it transforms lives. We've been given this great gift, this gift of God's love, this gift of being born again, born from above. And God is just waiting to fill us with his spirit to change how we live this life as it anticipates spending eternity praising him. He's invited you into this, and it's up to us to accept it. Let's pray together. God, thanks so much for offering us new life real life, the life you want us to live. And so, God, we pray that we'll open our hearts enough to receive it so that we can be continually born again, born from above, ready to live the life you've called us to live. And, God, we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.